different tonight. So if you're a guest here, this isn't how it normally is. Well, actually, yeah, yeah I, I hear that laughter. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, we, are, we actually are going to look at two different things uh, this evening. And uh, part of that is because we've been dealing with a subject on Sunday nights uh, for quite a while. Actually, a couple different subjects, but they all have been tied together, and we're coming to a conclusion tonight. And um, we have been dealing with um, different varying views in regard to uh, views of God and actually kind of systems, if you would, in, uh, in Christianity, one called Calvinism and, and the other called Arminianism. And we've spent uh, quite a bit of time looking at each. Uh, in that, we looked at Calvinism uh, back uh, toward the end of last year and into the beginning of this year. Uh, then we spent some time uh, digging into Arminianism, which, remember, we, we learned is not, was not written in opposition to Calvinism, but was written by a man who was, who was a, a Calvinist himself, but uh, viewed two different areas and aspects of Calvinism that he had issue with, he had problems with, and he sought to clarify. And so uh, the Arminian view came in, and some took and ran with it. And we have two kind of groups on, on various ends of the spectrum who are, are moral enemies, it almost seems like, in some aspects. And so we've been looking at those two doctrines, and then we have taken time just the last couple of weeks to deal with a subject that really needs to be understood, and it is the sovereignty of God. Uh, you know what? We serve a sovereign God. Uh, he is a God who's on the throne. He rules, and, and, and he reigns. And, and uh, I am thankful for that very wonderful truth uh, that the Bible uh, shares with us and that, um, uh, that we can rest upon. In fact, uh, we gave you a definition of sovereignty, and it is God's... Did I not have it on? Did I not have it on? Did I? Yeah, it is. Okay, very good. I, I was looking back there. It's like, okay, did I mess up something? Uh, God's supreme power over all of creation so that he exercises his dominion absolutely. You know, God is in control. reason I had to turn to Romans chapter 8 uh, as we are finishing up, we're going to give you some conclusions about sovereignty. And if you have the outline, it's Roman numeral, uh, Roman numeral 6, isn't it? And uh, just going to give you some conclusions about sovereignty that are, I think, I just wanted to share with you, and I'm not going to take the entire time, so I'm going to maybe pick up from what we preached this morning for a few moments, if we can do that. Two messages and a business meeting. And I'm going to do it in 40 minutes. All right, no, uh, we're just, uh, but uh, anyway, we've been dealing with this, med uh, this matter of God's sovereignty. And we've tried to bring out the point and help you understand that the Calvinist view of sovereignty and the Arminian view of sovereignty are both wrong. They both have problems. They both have issues. In one, if you view God uh, as, as if um, mankind, as if he is a puppet on a string and God's working everything. And so if you trip and fall, well, that was part of God's sovereign plan because there's a sovereign God controlling everything. And... Um, and, you know, like God is working a chessboard. Well, in reality, God is in control. We understand that fact. But the Bible is very clear that God has, if you will, and I don't know how to perfectly describe this, but God has chosen to limit his sovereignty according to his word. 
so that God is in control of all things. And God, God will ultimately win the victory according to, to Scripture. I, I am so glad that God is in control. And that's what Romans 8 is all about. Actually, uh, there's a number of verses, but we're going to look at two that you know very well. Verses 28 and 29, which tells us the truth about the fact that God is in control. And that, that we rest in that very fact. Uh, notice what God says. And we know, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, them he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And then he talks about and goes into how um, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. What, what a great passage. Actually related to some of the things we've sung about. That song just followed perfectly with what you shared. Maybe we should have had you continue the message there. But uh, thanks for uh, just reminding us of what God has done for us. But Romans 8, 28 and 29 are wonderful verses about a sovereign God. Look. The Bible does not say in those verses that everything is good. It says that all things work together for good. Now that's sovereignty. God doesn't say everything good. In other words, yeah, that broken arm, I did that. That's <laughs> good. All right. Drunk driver ran into you. That was good. No, God doesn't say that. God says all things work together for good. So God says, yes, that man was drunk. Yes, he was out of control. And yes, he, had, he has rejected truth, and he is, he is going to pay for it. And I'll see to it. But that wasn't a good thing, but I'm going to use it for good in your life. 9-11. Tragic event. Thousands lost their lives. Because of evil men. Was God in control? Uh, did God fly those planes into, into the, the Twin Towers? No. Was God condoning their act saying, yes, that's the next step in my plan? No, but God knew all about it. And God used it. He used it to bring many to himself. I know that many were impacted and many lives were changed as a result of, of what took place. God used it, I'm sure, to take a number of believers home that needed to be with him. I don't always understand God's plans. Not everything, though, is... God is not working puppets on a string. But God is sovereign. He's in control. And Romans 8, 28 and 29, which some see as... Some, if you look at the Calvinist view as discouraging, is wonderfully encouraging to someone who understands this. Hey, look. God is not, God is not, God is controlling evil to an extent. But God has allowed men the freedom of choice according to his word. And therefore he has, if you will, limited his sovereignty by his word to say, I'm going to let men make the choices that they will make. Does God know what they are? Whom he did foreknow, 
them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God knew if you'd be saved, because God knows all things. Um, and so God will use all things. God is in control. And what many end up uh, saying about God's sovereignty, that God is like uh, uh, working everyone as a puppet on, on, you know, on strings and, and no one has any say, God is sovereign, is inconsistent with what the scriptures tell us and what the scriptures teach. Romans 8 encourages our heart with the truth. God's in control and God will use things, but not everything is good. Not everything is what uh, he would desire Jesus, God said himself, he is not willing that any should perish. By the way, if, if sovereignty means that God is controlling everyone like a puppet string, then what would have to happen if the Bible is true when it says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Everyone would have to be saved. But God has given men choice. So he has limited his sovereignty. He won't force someone to make a decision. That's why um, when someone says, well, God's predestined people for heaven and for hell, that's not true. You can't, you can't find that. The Bible doesn't teach that. God knows. God designs things in life for those he foreknows will come to faith in Jesus Christ. But God has given men the freedom of choice. So here are the conclusions we've had. And, and I almost feel like I needed to preach the whole message again, and we've spent a couple weeks on it. So let me just give you the conclusions, kind of tie things up here. First is God is in control, even working in and through the free will of man as taught in Scripture. Think of all the times God has patiently worked with people and, uh, and people who weren't willing uh, which, by the way, quite a few. But uh, think about this. If if God is sovereign and everything's going to happen according to his plan, why did God spend all that time talking with Moses at the burning bush? Isn't it interesting? You, you read through that story in, in, in Genesis. like He spends all this time. Moses is like, oh, no, Lord, send someone else. Um, yeah. <laughs> If, if you're God and he's sovereign, Moses, look, buddy, you're going. We're done with this. Over. Um, what about Gideon? You read about Gideon. What, what, what's wrong with the guy? Lord, Lord, if you really want this to happen, do this tonight with, with this. Uh, you know, have, have the ground dry and have... Have this, um, you know, this this thing wet, and then, and then, no, nah, Lord, I don't know if I read that right. Give me another sign, Lord. And God goes through this long thing with Gideon. Why? Because, because God gave both those men will, and He worked within that framework. And brought them to the place graciously that they would say, yes, Lord, I'll go. And it's amazing because you read when they went to battle and they broke open the pitchers. What did what'd they say? Why did they say end of Gideon? 
Who's he? Sovereign God, people! Because Gideon had a part in God's plan. And he ended up killing. Um, There are so many examples in Scripture of this fact. God is in control and he works through and with the free will of men. The free will that he has given to men. The, The right to choose. Uh, Hundreds of verses have to be rejected in the Bible if you throw out the fact that men have a a will to make choice. You have to go through all these stories and say, well, it was going to happen anyway. In fact, I told my friend that once. I had a friend who was struggling with the battle of Calvinism, and he he, uh, went on a visitation. He led someone to Christ. He came back from visitation, and... You know, I, I never speak my mind. You know that. Um, but but he came in, and he was all excited. He said, oh, I had an opportunity to lead a boy to Christ. Well, we had just had the conversation about Calvinism, and, and I was kind of a little, little bit, you know, just I, yeah, making a little jab. I never speak my mind. You know that. And I just said, well, he would have been saved anyway. Over too well. It just kind of lost the opportunity to really have in that. But quite honestly, if he was saying was true, it, it would have. But the fact of the matter is, he made a difference in a boy's life who made a choice of the will that God gave him. And, and God wonderfully used him to lead a boy to Christ that day. And I'm thankful that God is in control. He knows what a man will choose. But God has given men, and he works through the free will of man. So the men who flew those planes into those towers, was God like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? No, God knew what was going to happen. God knew what they would choose of their free will. He knew that they would be wicked men who chose to follow a false god who would do those wicked deeds. And don't make any mistake, they were wicked men following false gods, not the God, and doing their own thing. And God used that. So God is in control, even working in and through the free will of man, as taught in Scripture. Second truth, conclusion about sovereignty. God is not the author of evil, but I can rest in the fact that he will use even evil for good. And that's what we just read, didn't we? That's what we just found. Okay, God isn't God isn't here saying, yeah, okay, they're doing... Uh, um, God uses even those things for that which is good. God is not the author of evil, but I can rest in the fact he will use even evil for good. Uh, Do you know in a conversation with a staunch Calvinist, I had him say that, um, you know, God made Adam and Eve eat the fruit in the garden. And I, I, I said it last week, but let me tell you that my God is not the author. God is, my God does not sin. Uh, I serve a holy God. And he does not make people sin. James 1 tells me that fact. Men make their own choices. And God has given them that freedom to do so. He's not the author of evil. Um, and uh, And... If, if you say that 
he is working everyone as a puppet and a string, then he is the author of sin. And I, I, I refuse to accept that. I serve a holy God. The third point and third conclusion about sovereignty is God is not to be blamed for my failure or wrongdoing because I can make choices to do right. The very fact that the Bible repeatedly, we don't even have time tonight, we're not going to take time because we already did a little bit as we studied the various views of Calvinism and Arminianism, but the, the very fact that God uh, over and over in Scripture gives us a choice and says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, for, uh, you know, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him. The very fact that God over and over talks about and says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Uh, that God gives us the freedom, the right of choice, and, and God is not to be blamed then uh, for my failure. See, I can make choices. I can make choices to do right. I can make choices to do that which is wrong. God has given me that freedom. And, uh, and so God can't be blamed for my failure. Uh, and uh, I just need to remember that. I can make choices to do that which is right. I found those who have a, a view of sovereignty that takes it beyond Scripture and says something that the Bible doesn't teach, that God is like everything. Not only is God the of sin, but you know what else it does? It makes everything in your Christian life useless. I've often thought about this. I, I, I said that I told my friend. He stole my friend, which is interesting. You know what? He ended up becoming um, the director of a rescue mission. Can you imagine a guy who, who was espousing Calvinism? I think he, I hope he got it straight. Going to work on a rescue mission, kind of like I'm going to try to help save people that are going to be saved anyway. Look, if if the sovereign teaching of Calvinism is true, um, prayer is just an exercise we do because we've been commanded to do it. It does nothing. But my Bible says. God answers prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man doesn't matter. If you teach the Calvinist view of sovereignty. But the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the God I serve. A God who's sovereign, he's in control, yes. But a God has, who has chosen to limit himself to his word. And his word says, ask and he shall receive. Seek and he shall find. His word says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. His word says, um, hey, uh, if, if you've lost your first love, repent. You need to make the right choices. God is not to be blamed for the choices that I make, and I am responsible for what I do. Therefore, God can and will justly on that day in Revelation chapter 20 sentence people to the lake of fire who will not receive Jesus or did not receive Jesus Christ in this lifetime because he's given man the freedom to choose, and man rejected. So that is, that is uh, 
a proper view of sovereignty. And I know we could take probably years on the subject. I kid you not. And not exhaust everything about in Scripture and all the, all the intricate matters. But it's important for you to understand these truths. And at least um, you know, sometimes you gotta, you got to dig a little deep. So I, I hope I didn't lose you on this study. I really hope I didn't. But I do hope that you have a better understanding of sovereignty in your own heart and in your own mind. Now, turn to Colossians.